Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Welcome, welcome, folks, to Roach on Recovery. This is your host, Orville Roach, along with my producer and co-host, Chris Morales. Were you here last week? Oh, you know what? I'm always here, all right? <laughs> I, no matter what, uh, I'm always here. 646-564-9909. 646-564-9909 is the number if you want to call in and speak to us. If you just want to listen to the show, you can go to our website, ocgworks.org, that's O-C-G-W-O-R-K-S dot O-R-G, and click on the OCG Radio Live button, or you can also go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. You don't have to call in on the call-in line to listen to the show, unless that's your only means, then by all means, please do so. Well, it is uh, 70 degrees and balmy. <laughs> Here in Northern California, <laughs> typical California winter. No offense to uh, my brethren and contingent on the East Coast, who I think were dealing with freezing temperatures <laughs> and snow, sleet, hail, and that's right, whatnot back there. I've been there. You've got it better I've, than them I've now. I've been there. I've been there. All right, let's go right to our recap. Uh, last week, we had a guest interview with Dr. Lene Jaimez discussing not only OCG's integration of substance abuse and mental health into one service modality, but also the larger integration in the field of the two services. We also touched post-interview uh, on what local and state governments are doing in terms of integrating uh, their departments and merging uh themselves, but they're kind of lagging far, uh, much further behind the private treatment sector. So when, whenever they announce that they're going to be merging mental health and fanfare, gets a a yawn out of us because we're like you know years and miles ahead of yeah. them in terms of doing it. About time. Yeah. Um. So that's that. <clears throat> uh, a good thing we didn't get knocked off the server last week. Yeah, that was a that was a plus. There were some scares though, weren't there? 
couple of uh, hitches that well, we got in our headphones from uh, well, commercials I, playing? Or well, I'll tell you what happened. So, well, first of all, um, we didn't get knocked off the server, but I believe I did disconnect our call our call in line uh, by accident. Oh, yeah. But when I moved into the producer's chair, I panicked. Too many lights and bells and whistles and, and whatnot. So, Threw a solid uh, curveball at me there. I, yep. I was taken back to our practice days. We told our, all of our listeners our first show when we were practicing that we had echoes and everything. And I went, I had a flashback to that moment yep. right there. Yeah. And uh, in closing, I just want to say to all the uh, Oakland Raider fans out there, uh, I don't know what to say other than let's go Mets. <laughs> that's that's all there is to say. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's all there is to go Chargers. And for those of you who don't know, and uh, remember we're not a sports show, but we got to talk about sometimes the Raiders are possibly moving back to L.A. And I'll say this now as a 49er fan, we don't want any of you. If we're if we are the only that's show left up. in town, that's that's messed you, up. We don't want any of you. You can. You can cheer for your team from afar. Didn't the Raiders beat the Niners last year? They did indeed. Okay. Just want to get convincingly, that in. I might add. Get that in for the eternal record. <laughs> Infants and intellectuals. The difficulty they have with intensive treatment. We're going to get right into our topic. Let's do it. Who are the infants? Should I venture the same guess that I ventured to you the other night when uh, I was checking out the topic? Go ahead. We'll go, uh, infants would be the clients that come into treatment that have a hard time controlling their overflowing emotions. There's no shortage of uh, how you feel that is being worn on your sleeve and uh, to a fault almost. you got to reel it in a little bit as... Maybe a, an infant that's crying uncontrollably, kind of nothing you can do to console them until they let it out, so to speak. All right. Well, let's talk about the infants a little bit because when you're, at, we when we talked about when we did our show on uh, feelings, and even in other shows we mentioned it about people people are getting into recovery to get to a happy medium in terms of being able to identify, articulate, and verbalize their their feelings experience their feelings and etc. And so when we speak about the infants and, and, and we have called them this at various times over the years, various persons. Sure. Um but in general the infants are well when you think of an infant, infant only knows how to communicate in one way and that's through their feelings. Right. So they're when they're hungry they cry. When they're need to be changed they cry. When when everything is good and they're happy, you might see a smile or a laugh or whatever from you. But they don't they can't verbally communicate. So right, the, the mother is in tune with all of this this uh, these feelings through these communications through their feelings, and then the baby expressing it in various ways. Right. Right. So when we get clients, as you spoke about, those who have an overflow of feelings, and that's the predominance of how they are communicating. I'm not necessarily speaking of those who are communicating, um, which I would call in, in a, with their feelings in a positive sense. I'm talking about those who are communicating in their feelings in a negative, okay, negative way. I want what I want, what I want, what I want, when I want it, and if I don't get it, I'm going to react a certain way. 
I'm going to talk a certain way. I'm going to behave a certain way. You know, so it's the the negative view of the quote unquote. So when we call them an infant, we're not giving them a a compliment. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um. So we'll put the infants over there. Then you move to the other extreme, and you have the the intellectual. Now. The reason why I wrote, I think, in my topic, don't let the show title fool you, because people might think that we're trying, we're, they were, we're trying to uh, either or the infants. Well, the infants don't care because they can't understand what we're saying anyway. The real infants, but you know, intellectual. When we say the intellectuals, we're not putting down intellectuals, right? Okay, when we're speaking in the context of the treatment environment, sure, where it's important to be able to speak to your how you're feeling and speak to your uh, the feelings about various experiences you've had in your life, and a person is not capable of doing that because they're used to what we call intellectualizing their feelings. Right. So they end up telling you more often than not. If you're if you're not listening very carefully and don't catch it, they end up telling you what they're thinking rather than what they're feeling. Right. So we categorize those as the intellectuals. Now, if you were to ask me, out of the two. Out of the two, both have a very difficult time with the treatment process. But out of the two, if someone wants to say, well, which one would you say has the most difficult time with grasping this recovery thing and really getting it and, you know, knocking it out of the ballpark, mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the intellectual that has sure. the most difficulty. Yeah. Um, and I've met a few, and the interesting thing is, when 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 the ones that I've had an opportunity to speak to and been able to make them aware of that you know you you intellectualize your feelings and they say you know you're right I I actually see it, um, and a lot of them have not made any effort to change that change it <laughs> right and um, end up not succeeding the way I think they should in the, in their recovery process. So the intellectual as a verse to the infant, would uh, obviously theorize, speak from the head. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Um, you have to, if you're the person conversing with them, um, talking with them, trying to elicit uh, something about their experiences, have to dig a little, you know, like kind of force them to dig deeper, Um Whereas the, the infant, even though we were speaking to more of the negative aspect of that behavior, they're also capable of the other side a lot more easier right. than the intellectual. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I think the infant is a little uh, more easily molded or, or malleable, if you will. Yeah. Um, you can tap in. Right. The, the intellectual, how are you going to teach somebody who already knows the answer, so to speak. Intellectually. Right. You know the and, and then I also think as far as just raw feelings are concerned, it's easier to reel it in than it is to pull it out. Mm -hmm. um, folks who have a hard time getting in touch with the emotional side of things are usually ones who are not sharing or holding on to something for some sort of fear or, you know, something has happened they don't trust and it's very hard to kind of pull that out of somebody mm -hmm. as opposed to the person who will just put it all on the table and you just got to 
kind of got to teach them good boundaries. Like, hey, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes there's a right time to share and with certain people, and you don't just want to be, you know, or they or they get a bad a, a bad decision, you know, in, in in reference to something they're requesting, so to speak, and they react right, 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 and and their reaction is there for all the world to see. They don't <laughs> they don't hide it. Right, know, it just comes out. And so with that person, would 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 the would the the person we characterize as the infant, we're spending our energy trying to teach them to contain that. Yeah, using, it's okay to feel that, but there's an appropriate time to right. express it. And, that person is the one that we are spending our time teaching them to incorporate their brain into controlling their behavior, controlling their reactions to. Uh, Dare shall I say, until the appropriate time, stuffing the feeling. Yeah. Feeling function. Yes. Because in the real, I mean, walking in the door and and in in the treatment environment, we're always telling people, so we don't want you to stuff your feelings. You've been doing that for however long you've been out there using, you've been medicating, stuffing, and and et cetera. So we don't want you to do that. Exactly. So under the title, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. Well, you're going to get those walking in the door that just by nature don't stuff their feelings. Sure. Good, bad, or ugly. Okay? So you have to deal with all three, good, bad, and ugly. Right. Um, and trust me, we get the bad and the ugly. Right. Okay? Um, and, and we've been blessed and we've been fortunate because we've never had anything where, you know, we've, where the environment was has been unsafe or felt unsafe or anything like that. But people have the freedom to react Right, as they normally would, or they're they, they're used to, and we want to actually see that, believe it or not. So this might be a misnomer out there in the in the treatment world. We actually want to see people act out in the treatment setting because it gives you chance to see know what you're working yeah, with. Yeah, see what you're working with. They walk in and just uh, don't show you anything. You're like, okay, what's what's going on? What's your problem? Right? Why why are you here? Exactly. Exactly. That's a good point. So it's not 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 only do we want the uh, you know it's not only about when we speak about infants and intellectuals we're not just talking about the way they may share their experiences in terms of talking about their feelings but we're also talking about the way they act. Right. You know what I mean. So um, with the infants we're dealing with not only the way that they share, which is oftentimes not appropriate, and you mentioned about developing boundaries, et cetera, but the way they act is oftentimes not appropriate. Right. Do you want... Yeah, just they need to be taught that there is an appropriate time and place right. with which to express those feelings. Exactly. So that answers the question, of, for me, of why, why both groups have difficulty. Because you can't be on either, you can't be on the extremes. We want you to be in the middle and then develop the ability to go, for the meter to go to one side or the other depending on the circumstance. Right. The time, the place, etc. Right. There's a time when you should be, I'm not going to say infantile, but where you should be expressive. And you should have the appropriate reaction depending on what the circumstance is. And there are times when your intellect should take over and rule and dominate and quell any 
inappropriate thing that might come out <laughs> your mouth or an inappropriate behavior that might be ready to explode out of you. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Um, did I tell you that uh, this is long time, long, long, long time ago. Statue of limitations is okay. We're, expired. We're well so, past the seven-year uh, limit? No, past the 20-year oh, okay. limit. All so right. I, I, can, sure. I can speak to it now. We used to, way, way, way back in the day, when we had the intellectual, and, and the other thing that went with the intellectual was they really didn't get into, quote, my hands are in quotes, trouble in the treatment setting. You know, violate any rules overtly, let's say. Sure. Okay. That the infant client did. Yeah. I mean, they just, they, you know, rules meant nothing, you know. Breaking rules all the all time. All the time. They're always, you know, in the books. That's a treatment terminology, by the way. You know, where they're getting dealt with for violating rules and right. so on and so forth. Where the intellectual wasn't. Why? But, you know, they're using their intellect. Listen, I don't want to be done right. with violating any rules, so I'm going <laughs> to right, exactly. make sure I don't. I, okay, so what we used to have to do to try and uh, – we used to set them up. I don't know how else to say it. And we would um, uh, accuse them of wrongdoing, knowing full well that they didn't do, to see how they would react, react. and respond, you know, to not only an injustice of being accused of something, but just to, you know, shake them up a little bit, okay? Yeah. And, you know, back then we didn't have, we didn't think of video and uh, there wasn't uh, camera phones and YouTube and all that. So it would have been absolutely hilarious to see someone being uh, dealt with for something that you know you they didn't do, but you're, you're setting them up. Just to set up, right. Just to see how they respond to it and to get them out of their comfort zone. Sure. And so that used to be many years ago, many years ago. Statue of limitations is gone, so we can't be charged anymore. We used to set them up, um, pull their passes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Put them in the incident books for things they didn't do. Yeah. Um, create an upset. And that's what you have to do with the intellectual because what we're trying to get to is what? We're trying to get them to... If we, we How want do you to, respond to right. like an adverse situation? We want to visually see some feelings, some reaction out of them, phys- a physical reaction to something, and then we can then start asking them, okay, how did that feel when it happened? When Chris accused you of not making your bed yesterday, and you know you made your bed, but you were accused of not making your bed, how did you feel? Well, instead of the answer being, well, I made my bed, so there was no issue. Right. <laughs> that's the intellectual response. Rather than, and then you have to push and say, I know, that's what you think, but what we want to know is how you felt about being accused. Right. And so they have a very difficult time, and so it requires a lot more energy. Both sides require energy, because on one side you're trying to put the brakes on, slowing down, trying to get them to incorporate the brain to control what they're doing and saying on the other side, you're trying to get their belly, their gut. It's another treatment term. The, your, when we say your gut or your belly, you know, get your feelings to, you know, to come into play so you can speak to them, identify them. Both are equally difficult, but which one would you say is more frustrating, the infant or the intellectual, to deal with? More frustrating to deal with? Yeah. 
Uh, well, if we're switching to frustrating, I'd say maybe the infant. Okay, I think it's the intellectual. I, I don't. They require I, a lot more brain energy. That's I mean, just my opinion. Well, and I agree with that, and that's kind of what we stated at the beginning of the show. The intellectual requires a lot more effort on an intellectual level, a lot more work, a lot more brain energy, like you said. However, to me, that is not so much frustrating mm-hmm. as. So the it's the adjective frustrating that I'm on here. Mm-hmm. Um, the intellectual, I'd say, is definitely harder work, mm-hmm. but that type of work doesn't frustrate me as much as the telling this this full grown man or even you know the 17 or 18 year old no 70 thousand times and they're in the books every single night for the same thing. That that is more is more frustrating for me, challenging okay. for me to overcome because it that is like tiresome on another on another level on a different and it's just uh i'm sick of okay. repeating myself with you this, this is what's interesting about this dynamic then as you as you were talking about this because you're 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 entering the realm of time for you and your spouse uh-huh. where children are going to be coming into play uh-huh. and i've always equated the quote-unquote infant resident, infant client, similar to, you know, You're right. ch- having children, you know, when you have your own children. Right, and repeating and, yourself and repeating over yourself and over and over. 70,000 times. Right. And it's funny because, and it's just interesting how people are different in terms of even approaching different types of clients. I don't find them, the infant clients, frustrating. And maybe it's because I I, I had children. Right, you know what I'm saying, and and know what that's about. It's the intellectuals that are more frustrating to me. Okay, yeah, because especially when they real when there's a certain point when the intellectual client realizes that they can play an intellectual game, and then it becomes like a battle of intellectual wits. Yeah. When you're you yourself as a counselor, you're not trying to play a game. You're trying to get you're trying to get them to get to a certain place. Right. Move away from a certain way of being and get to another place of you know way of being, uh, and then learn how to combine the two. Yeah. They see it as a challenge to outwit you, outsmart you intellectually to keep from getting there. Sure. Yeah, I can see that. You know what I'm saying? So that then requires way more brain energy for me as a counselor to constantly trying to Take take them down from there, and yeah. trying to get them back down to the basics of what we're trying to do. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But th- it's, but that's interesting how you know different people respond differently to different types of uh, clients. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. And in ten years after you've had your kids, you'll come back and you'll tell me, you know what? The opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the uh, the the brain energy for me is an energy I'm okay with expending Mm -hmm. it's it's the the kind of tedious repetitive energy that goes in that it just that's the one that just frustrates me to no end because like oh man come on man you you still don't get it you're still doing the same thing see i think when you have children a certain hormone is released not only to the mother but somehow by osmosis to the father however it happens physiologically to the father that uh, allows you or it should to all those good fathers out there, it allows you to uh, 
be prepared and get ready right. for repeating yourself 150,000 times right. as they go through each age category. Right. No, that makes sense. The repeating doesn't change. Only the things you say changes. Sure. The repeating goes on and on. On and on and on and on. All right. So what needs to happen for either group to succeed? We know with the infants, and again, we're not being derogatory when we say that. We're just describing how they act, just like infants. Okay. I used to ask clients this question. Name the only type of human that can communicate, that communicates only through feeling. For a lot of them, it was a stumper. They didn't realize, I mean, you know, they didn't get Right. I was talking about, you know, an infant. Sure. And oftentimes, excluding the intellectuals, Oftentimes, when clients are entering recovery, entering the treatment setting, and you've heard some of our our callers say, "Hey, you know, now that I've been off drugs for a couple of months, I'm just being overwhelmed by all you know all these feelings that are coming that I, I didn't feel for years." Excuse me. And you know, it's like overwhelming to deal with, and I don't know how to deal with it. And so that's what you're supposed to learn in the treatment setting: how to process them, deal with them, etc. But the the infant communicates that way. The infant client, in quotation, doesn't realize that they're actually communicating the same way because all of their communication, they're not verbalizing their feelings, they're just acting them out. Okay. Okay. And so in order for them to succeed and get to a place where they're way of being is not going to cause them to head into a relapse, head back down that same road. We're now trying to drive, first we get them to a point of understanding and acknowledging that this is how they are. This is their makeup. Then we're trying to see, okay, how can we get this person's brain to kick in, to prevent them from saying, the F you, or get out of my face, or you know, doing, that's still the saying, or doing something that they're going to regret. How can we get that brain and boom, kick in there and control that? So, you know, there's the old, the old, the old one of telling the count to 10. It's amazing how that works. My mother used to tell me to do that. Yeah. I'm not saying I was an infantile. Don't draw those conclusions. <laughs> but... You'd say count to ten, and by the time you get to ten, usually whatever it is you're about to say or about to do would have kind of dissipated to a point where the well, brain, yeah, the brain bit, yeah. can come into play and say, "Okay, let me not say that right now." It's equivalent to the the uh, the advice people give now about don't click the send button. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wait. Reread it three or four times before you click it's, that. Is uh, Herm Edwards, right? Right. <laughs> don't click send. Um, even on the Twitter. Um, so we we spend our energy working with them to get the brain to come into come into play. How do we do that? By constant, consistent intervention. Every single time they have a, a reaction where their feelings have dictated their behavior, we make them aware of it. 
and when they're when they're able to tell us back that they 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 see it, I see exactly what you're talking about. I see exactly how it manifested itself. Then we know that one, we're making progress because now they can see it. Then we know that okay, now the next thing we got to do is get them to a point where not only can they see it, they can now start to control it. Doesn't happen overnight. Right. You can't be a certain way for 15 years and think in three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, you're going to, boom, just flip the script. Right. But we can see progress slowly, slowly through a diminishing of the acting out, a diminishing of the reacting, and the person starting to control what they're doing, what they're saying. Yep. And obviously, with the infant behavior, it's easy to see the progress because you see the behavior decrease, the acting out decrease. You can say, okay, that person is learning and they're putting, they're putting what they're learning into action and we can see it. But, oh, the intellectual. <laughs> right. That's a different story. Uh, a little harder yeah. to uh, chart that That's progress. That's a different story. And like I told you, I've told many, I said, this is going to be very hard for you. Intellectuals have a very difficult time in treatment. Yep. For obviously the very different reason than the infants. So they struggle. They really struggle. It's it's hard to really turn off that that brain dominance and which shuts out the feelings from coming into play. Right. Um you mentioned it about the sharing. I'm talking about before you even get to the part of them trusting and 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 getting to the point where they can share their experiences, talk about them, and even name feelings. I'm just talking about the, the way they intellectualize even the treatment concept. Yeah. Why why is it that we have to make our bed? <laughs> what is the reasoning behind that? I don't. I don't. It doesn't make any logical sense to me. They want, That's the intellectual. <laughs> yes. Why do we need permission to? Why do we have to ask permission to use the restroom? This is in a residential setting. You know, why? Why do we have to do what we have to do? Basically, whatever it is, is what the intellectual will ask you, right? Or, or present to you, right? Um, and th- and this is where I was talking about before the. The the game starts of trying to because you, you when someone says well why do I have to make my bed we have to explain the reason why you have to make your bed and when you work with the intellectual the moment you start that you've now entered their world <laughs> they reeled you in yeah, yeah no but you, no it, it's not even about being reeled in it's it's you have to enter. Right. And so you have to enter the fight in order to slay the dragon, you know what I mean? That's right, that's right. And so they they've opened the door by asking the question and now you know you got to go in there and you know and you know if you've been around a little bit, you know what you're heading into. And you know, for well for you right now, it's a challenge. If I hear you correctly, it's a challenge to 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 enter into their world and try and slay the dragon and get them to, uh, you know, break break down the intellectual right. walls. It, it, yeah, you know? a, ch- a challenge that I I enjoy. That that's that's a challenge that I can 
relative, all, all things being relative, that is a challenge that I I enjoy. Uh, exchanging me too, and, and with someone of you know that you know when you can enjoy it. I think you can enjoy it when you you, you know you can be you can be an intellectual and also be the other. You know, you, remember we, you, know, you can be right in the middle and go right. to either side. You know, depending on what the situation calls for. Right. And when you when you've gotten to that point of development where you can do that, let's say okay, you want to go there, let's go there. Sure. Okay. And so you can match wits. Right. Okay, and, right. and which is what you have to do, basically, to slay the dragon. Yeah, you got to be able to match. Of course. Wits. And on occasion, on occasion, you'll you'll meet someone, you'll have a client who, when they realize that you can match wits with them, but it's really we're not here to match wits. Okay, and you can get them to realize that look, we don't have to play a game of wit matching. Right. You know what I mean. We just we want you to get in, understand what the recovery process is about, and this is when you know that you you're you're making progress at the very earliest point of the struggle with the intellectual. When a they acknowledge that they're an intellectual and they intellectualize their feelings, and then b when they start to tell you in conversation before you tell them, I just intellectualized that, didn't I? Yes, you did. Right. Because I asked you, how do you feel about today's lunch? That's how simple we have to be to get them to practice to an- answering feelings, not think. You know, how do you feel about today's lunch? Well, I thought it was pretty. No, 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 no. Not what you thought. How do you feel about it? And so when they themselves can start to realize, my fault, my fault, you didn't say think. You said feel. There's a little bit of progress being made. Yeah, absolutely. So we have to, I think, would you say it's a fair statement that we probably have to work harder? With the intellectual? With the intellectual? Yeah, I would say okay. so. The, it, it's like, when you say harder, it's like comparing, I don't know, it's something that's very labor-intensive, you know, like uh, maybe construction, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, laying brick mm-hmm. as opposed to the other heart of something just tedious. A code writer? Yeah, you're right. Exactly. It, it's not hard to to put in ones and zeros uh, physically, uh-huh. so to speak. It's just tedious. You just you just have to do it. It uh-huh. needs to be done uh, as opposed to the laying the brick, which you got to fight through, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, because it's hard work on another kind of level. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's how it is with the intellectual. It's it's harder work um, on that level and less so on the just kind of tedious kind of repetitive level. Now, we talked a little bit. Let's expound some more. Uh, how they manifest themselves in the treatment setting. So the the infant... We said, you know, they want what they what they want when they want it, and if they don't get it, they react, they yell, they scream, they threaten. <laughs> a good way of identifying the infants and the intellectuals, if you ever walk, if anyone out there ever gets the opportunity to visit a therapeutic community, ask the to the house who are on LEs. There's your list of infants. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's one way. That's that's one way. Um, 
But historically, historically, if you added up the list, uh, there are more successful people in recovery who've been who are on that list who are on that list <laughs> than on the other side. Agreed. Um, I always say, if you don't go, if you don't have any trials and tribulations as you go through your recovery process, then um, you miss the boat. You you your success rate, in my opinion, my humble opinion, your success rate decreases. I agree. You need to have some trials and tribulations to put your recovery tools into practice. Yeah, that's and that's said perfectly. You're mm-hmm. never going to get good at something that you don't practice. Mm-hmm. Not uh, Allen Iverson, notwithstanding. Right. And so, with the intellectual, you have we, we have to answer all the questions of why we set treatment up the way we set it up. To create these trials and tribulations, they're trying to determine why why the trial and tribulations even set up in the first place, which is the reason why we ended up having to trick them. Right. In the end. Right. Yeah. You know no. I mean? Exactly. So, um, and uh, do the injustice, which was so sweet to see. <laughs> And interesting to see. It's interesting to see someone go through treatment and present a certain way of being. You know, they got they got their act together. They got it all together. They they they're rarely being dealt with for violating any rules of the program or anything like that. And you know they're they're going home on the weekends and going on passes and then all of a sudden you decide to just pull a pass cancel a pass and all hell breaks loose <laughs> it does indeed yeah and then you say let's say the person's name is Joe just for argument's sake no i don't want to use Joe Kent let's say Ken uh the real Ken has come to the fore <laughs> yes <laughs> Yes. The person we've seen the last ten months has just been an act. Right. But after pulling his past, the real Ken has come to the fore. Right. Okay. And then now we want to work on seeing can we get some feelings out of this person? <laughs> Finally. Yes. Because they're obviously upset. Can you tell us, Ken, what it feels like to have your past pull when you know you were deserving? <laughs> can you do that? That's what it's like working with the intellectuals. So if you happen to actually work in a treatment program, and I don't know of any treatment program in any modality that doesn't have rules rules and regulations that, that the clients have to abide by, and and if you have someone that just skates through, not in the sense that they're trying to get over, but just you know they, they don't violate anything. They they don't get called on anything. They don't they never dealt with for any rule violations or um not abiding by any of the protocols and practices and, and and um you know, things that the program requests. To me those are flags. Those are big flags. And you know it's in their best interest even though it's cruel. It's in their best interest that we that we have to create create trials and tribulations for them. We don't have to do that for the infants; they do it for themselves. So that you know, we don't have to worry about them. But if we want to increase the success rate of those who intellectualize their feelings, we have we have to create environment. We have to create 
uh, create circumstances that their feelings come out. And then at that moment in time, we then have to then try and get them to dig into it. We have to get them to, after they get over, after they get past the fact that they've been set up, when they understand, we're really trying to get them to really get into their feelings and stop intellectualizing their whole existence. And most programs have success in doing that. The question, though, is whether or not the individual, the client, who is the intellectual, can get to a point where they can picture a dial or a clock. Clock is simpler to to imagine. And at the 12 o'clock position is the medium point. Well, and the intellectual is at the 3 o'clock position, and the infant is at the 9 o'clock position. And we kind of want everyone to hoover in that 12 o'clock position and swinging back and forth depending on their life circumstances and the experiences on a day-to-day basis. We're trying to get the intellectual away from the 3 o'clock to the 2 o'clock to the 1 o'clock and over to the 12 and then hoovering back and forth. Now, what do both of them have in common, though? Let's say both of them have learned their makeup. They've learned what they need to do to come to the center. Yep. Okay? And they've now practiced it. They, they, they've had circumstances that have brought it to the light, and they've, they, they've seen it, and now they're working hard on, you know, I'm, I'm in the intellectuals working hard on now talking about feelings and, 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 and naming them and talking about their experiences in terms of using feelings. And the infant is working on controlling themselves, actions, and words. And they're both doing a great job. Now, they've left the treatment setting. They're out and back in the real world and society. Okay? Now, you've been that way for 15 years, Right? And we agree that if you're if you get one year to practice modifying this, doesn't mean that fifteen years of being a certain way is going to go away in one year. Right. Okay. It requires consistent nurturing, consistent practice, consistent attention to, right? Right. Being aware of it. Yep. So we're now out, we're out in society, we're done with treatment, we're living our lives, we're out we're in this recovery mode. Which one do you think is gonna not relapse, not relapse, but to use a church term, Uh-oh. which one do you think is going to backslide first? Oh, backslide first. Uh, I guess just by the inherent nature of the intellectual, I would guess the intellectual. You are right, sir. <laughs> <laughs> More prone to just, if, if it's, if it's a pattern that you're used to questioning everything, it seems to be a lot a lot more wiggle room for you to get into trouble as opposed to someone who just had to reel some stuff in, you know, uh, on the uh, other hand. The intellectual is more prone to rationalizing their behavior. The intellectual is more prone to backsliding into getting away from speaking to their feelings, and just now speaking from their head. 
Right. Or not even connecting their experiences. Right. You know what I mean? Just intellectualizing them. And that's, by the way, just through my own anecdotal historical evidence. Okay, yeah. It hasn't been studied. It makes sense. Okay. But all of, as we, I think we mentioned this before, all of our graduation certificates on the walls, let's say we've got, uh, how many up there? 300 up there? Yeah, That's sure. A number up there. Out of that 300, I'll say there might be maybe 10 intellectuals. Right. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> that might be up there. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly true. Well, rationalizing by its very nature is something that you do intellectually. You are trying to think yourself into or talk yourself, having this conversation internally, of course, mm-hmm. talk yourself into believing that something is okay because of this or that, and that all stems from thought as opposed to feeling. So the the infant, we just got to wrestle their behavior down, put a time clock in for them to delay their response and just through my historical anecdotal evidence of watching people over time, they have shown themselves the ability to actually grasp the concept easier and maintain it than the intellectual. Does that mean the intellectual cannot succeed in recovery? Absolutely not. One of the things I used to say and still say is, the intellectual should be able to succeed in recovery because they're usually very smart. The problem is, is they, they outsmart themselves. And with the intellectual, there's one unwritten philosophy that I always, if I'm sitting down at the table holding a conversation with them, I always turn around and point at this one unwritten philosophy can all I the time. It? Can I guess it? You can try, but I, you, you, it might not be the one that you think, but go ahead and guess. Go. It's better to understand than to be understood. That's a perfect one, actually. And that one would come later down the line if, if they're just constantly talking and, and you can't get a word in edgewise, which happens a lot with the intellectuals, by right, the way. Okay? Right. They, they really want to tell you, you know, you know what? It, this is how treatment really should be if I oh, was yeah. defining it, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. You should really do it like this, not like this. You know that seminar you just did, by the way? Why didn't you talk about this? Why didn't you mention that? Right. But no, actually, I turn around and show them the first unwritten philosophy, honesty. Because you can't fool yourself. True. And when it when you really break it down in terms of when we're dealing with the intellectual, we're trying to let them know that Ultimately, you can't kid yourself. You can't fool yourself. You're not fooling me. You're not fooling anyone else. Okay. And so, if you if you can be honest with yourself in terms of the things that we're talking about, whatever they may be in the treatment setting, okay, then we can get past all of these intellectual games. Right. How many months do we waste? Because with the infant, there's no waste of time. Walking in the door, boom, they're starting. Yeah, the intellectual. How much time do we waste before, if 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 we if we get any movement from them, average? Would you say sixty to ninety days? A- absolutely. 
I'm closer to the three month mark. Yeah. That we that we're before we actually get any movement. Start on breaking that. through some stuff. And again, we're not trying to offend the intellectuals. We're just talking about why it is that these two types of beings in the treatment context I have to keep saying that, so in case anyone joins us late. Why are they insulting intellectuals? What are they talking about infants for? In the treatment context, the intellectual person is going to struggle. The infant's going to struggle. But if we had to choose which one was going to have the highest success rate and who has proven the highest success rate in terms of being able to turn them around, it has been the infant. Do we cast the intellectual aside into the gar- into the dustbin of history? No, we don't. No, we don't. Um, do we see the intellectual experiencing? I won't say relapse. I'm going to say a return to treatment at a higher rate than the other. Yes. Do you think that makes sense? That's a rhetorical question to our audience when you think about it. That the person who thinks that they they walk into, they're, they're an addict, they walk into a treatment setting for help, and they then are, as they're going through the treatment process, determining what that process should be, how it should work, and what's best for them and not best for them, what they're going to involve themselves in or not involve them, themselves in, what they're going to talk about and not talk about, basically writing their own treatment plan. Right. Okay. Not that they should not be heavily involved in their treatment plan, but they're writing their own treatment process. And that has never worked. I'm thinking, trying to think, if I recall, any client that comes to mind where that has worked. I can't think of one where that has worked. No, yeah, at some point you need to... Kind of give it up to the process. Surrender. <laughs> exactly. Submit. Exactly. And there's no shame in that. Uh, it does not establish weakness of mind. Um, all it does is say, you do not know everything. Right. And, now, that, and that even on an intellectual level, that you're, you are smart enough to realize that. And that is the unbelievable... Uh, What's the word that drives us crazy about the intellectuals? These are smart people. And so you would think that they would be smart enough to realize, hey, you know what? I don't know anything about this treatment thing. Right. Do you know that you're an addict? Yes. I know I'm an addict. Okay. Do you know anything about treatment? No. They are very smart. And it's that smartness, okay, that gets misconstrued because there's a difference between intellect and smart. Yeah. Okay. That gets construed and we ask them, dude or dudette. And those on the East Coast, that's the female version of dude. Right, right? We got that out here too. All right. It's more of like a beach or a surfer kind of thing, but you go ahead and it's your style. I'm not going to get that. It ain't my style. Don't drop that. (laughs) I'm going to have to edit that out. It ain't my style. Um, You're smart. But here, here, here here comes where it might get offensive. You ready? Oh, yeah. 
You're so smart, you're stupid. Mm. Because you don't realize that, and this is where the difference between being smart and being being an intellect, okay? Smart really relates to common sense. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And when a person has intellect, but they don't have a common sense ability to see the world and see things that they need to do, where, where does the intellect benefit you? Right. And in the treatment setting, this is what we see. Smart people, intellectuals, and they can't grasp the treatment concept and get it to stick so that they can succeed in their recovery. Now, I think if you ask any person not having any knowledge of treatment, recovery, anything like that, ask any parent. Okay, let's put it that way. Just ask any parent. What is easier to deal with? The child that's acting out behavioral-wise? Sure. Or the child who thinks they know everything? That would be an interesting question. Well, you know, there's one of our our colleagues was in, in, in my office earlier today, and he was talking about an experience that he was going through, and I posed that question to him, having nothing to do with the show we were doing today. Right. But in, in just to help him in terms of what he was experiencing, I said, what would, would, what would you take? Would you take your child in this age group acting out over above and beyond the normal adolescent acting out that she's doing right now or he's doing right now? Or would you take, and I use another example, which I'm not going to say, or would you take this? And they said, I would take the other example any day of the week. Okay. Okay. Because I can deal with a child that's acting out behaviorally than a child that thinks they know everything or a person that thinks they know everything. Because you can't reason with that person. Right. You know what I'm yeah, saying? that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you want to um, implicate yourself here maybe a little bit? Did Did you have any experience as a father with dealing with um, a child, leaving leaving names out, who was the, the infant in this uh, scenario, so to speak, uh, versus the child that was the intellectual? You, do you have any personal experience with that? Um, or were they both infants or both intellectuals? We'll put you we'll put you on the spot here. Well, before I answer, let me just say... Is the mother of the children listening right now? Um, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and it, it's not her that I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about being put on blast on Facebook and, <laughs> and verbally, verbally attacked and by other members... Of their of their their peer group in the, the, fam- in the family, uh, for for uh, dare to be talking about them on the air. But with that aside, since I am the father, that's right, <laughs> and it is my right. That's right. Without naming names, uh, they were distinctly different. Um, would I characterize one as the infant, one as the intellectual? I think if you were to ask my wife, she would say yes. Okay. So you had one of each. So then it must be, based on this show, the intellectual was a little more challenging to deal with than the infant. 
is more is more challenging. Okay. And you know, at various times, uh, this would probably be. I know this is not a word, but I'm gonna use it anyway. Remind me, the key word is word. So remind, just say word, and it will remind me of something I want to say before we finish this topic because I always forget to say it, and it's so important. But, All right. Uh, I think my wife would answer differently at different times. Okay. But overall, generally speaking, generally speaking, yeah, I think she would any day of the week rather deal with the intellectual. Okay. Right. Then deal with the other. Okay. Okay. Um, I can deal with either or. Okay. But if you were to put a nail gun to my head and say, look, you got to take one or the other, um, I would take the uh, the the infant. Oh, then you guys make a good team. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. I take <laughs> the infant. All right. Because at a, at a certain point, uh, the the you can go around and round and round and round and round and round in circles with the intellectual. Sure, that you know makes sense. And especially, like we said, if, if they when they establish that okay, we're playing, we're matching wits, then it becomes a game. Right. You know what I'm saying? Then you're kind of just spinning your wheels. Whereas with the other, you know, it's really it, it has not it. You're you're trying to incorporate their 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 brain into into the process. Right. They have a brain. Their brain works. They have intellect. It's this that split second where they say those magic words. <laughs> it just doesn't come first. The intellect. <laughs> those magic words that we all know and have all uttered. Oh yes. Those two words, and then they just boom, react and say what they shouldn't say, do what they shouldn't do, involve them, themselves in things they shouldn't involve themselves in, etc. <laughs> right. So. All right. Let's take a quick break. Music break. And then we'll come back and we'll uh, wrap up on this topic. Sounds good. She's a good girl. Loves her mama. Loves Jesus. In America, too. She's a good girl. Crazy about Elvis, loves horses, and her boyfriend too. And it's a long day, living in Reseda, there's a freeway, running through the yard, and I'm a bad boy. I'm a bad boy for breaking her heart. the bad boys we're standing 
Welcome back to Roach on Recovery. 646-564-9909 is the number. We're wrapping up our show topic today, infants and intellectuals. The difficulty they have with in being in intensive treatment. I use the term intensive treatment. I've never... I. I mean, we do outpatient. I mean, OCG, we, we do all modalities of treatment, but I've never actually myself sat facilitated at the outpatient modality, so I wouldn't know uh, how they present there. But I'm sure in any group environment where, you, where you're interacting with clients, <clears throat> them speaking, sharing, talking, what have you, uh, whichever side of the ledger they fall under, in terms of being the infant side or the intellectual side, or if they happen to fall in the middle, which I forgot to mention, there are people that fall right kind of in the center. Um, but we're not talking about them today. <laughs> Those aren't the problems. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they're out there. There's, they actually, uh, the, the the two extremes are the ones that make up make, make up a lot of the life in in the treatment setting, would you say? That's true. You yeah. Know? Uh-huh. Make I it agree make, with that. make it interesting and lively. I always say if there's if there's if there's not something, you know, going on, some you know, some uh drama going on in the treatment setting, then uh, something's wrong. Right. <laughs> exactly. Something's wrong somewhere. Uh so in closing for our topic I think what we want to say, what we want to get across is with these two types of clients, we've made it clear that we, we know what the infant presents. They react. They, 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 they don't, they don't, they're not going to control themselves, and so they have to work on incorporating their brain to help them control their behavior and control what they say. And I think we agree, Mr. Producer, that it's, that work is a little bit easier. Yeah, and as you put it, trying to reel someone back, dial them back, easier versus, than pulling out versus dragging someone out. That's right, and that's what you end up doing with the intellectual. You're trying to drag them out, trying to get to the, you know, get them to their feelings. And boy, if they don't want to go there, or not that if they don't want to go there, they just it is so difficult, so hard because they live upstairs, i.e., in their brain. Um, don't At, know how on a almost. daily basis they don't know how right and the challenge becomes trying to get them to connect down there agreed so uh a lot of work for those still out there in the field doing that doing 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 the layman's work that's correct so anything you want to add in closing before we move no i think um i mean i think it was a i think it was a great segment and a lot of good information uh i think the one kind of comment i thought about bringing up a little while back. We did a lot of pontificating. We did a lot a lot of pontificating and contemplating and all that good stuff. Um but I would say it, it is a sign that a good team in these regards, staff team I'm talking about, has to be diverse. Yeah. Because just kinda like you and I realized on air where your difficulty is in one is the one that I have a less difficult time with and then vice versa and so as long as you have a team that Oh, can wants... I just interrupt for correction? Yeah, sure. I did not say difficulty. I said pre- challenge. preference in terms of which one would I prefer. Yeah, or which one is yeah. more challenging. Yeah. Um, 
And so, yeah, having a team that cares and then a diverse team is good because you are going to get residents that cover the whole yeah. spectrum. And we've, so. and we've seen that. I mean, as, as human beings, right, mm-hmm. there are certain types of people that we may not react well to. Sure. And as a professional, you got you you have a responsibility to be aware to be aware is to be alive to be aware of that so that you don't uh, get in the way of the client's progress because of your you know your own yeah, issues absolutely. in terms of how you might react to people of that nature and let someone else who doesn't react to them that you know negatively deal with them. Right. <clears throat> might be a subject of another day. It just it just, stay tuned. It just may be. All right. Uh, why don't you take us into our uh, our our top of the hour, a little past the top of the yeah. hour break? Yeah, and then we will hit recovery support time. Sure, absolutely. Uh, we do have some callers on hold. We see you guys. We will get to you momentarily. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will get right into our callers for our recovery support time. Yeah. 
The Children's Health Council in Palo Alto has been serving children, youth, and teens in San Mateo and Santa Clara counties, as well as the greater San Francisco Bay Area, for over 60 years. The goal of the agency is to remove barriers to learning, regardless of language, location, learning style, or ability to pay. At CHC, we specialize in ADHD, learning differences, anxiety and depression, and autism through our center, two schools, and community clinic. No matter how big or small the issue is, just call us, and we'll help you navigate your child's journey together. Visit our website at www.chconline.org or call us at area code 650-688-3625. Again, that's area code 650-688-3625. At CHC, we're here for you. And CHC, estamos aquí para usted. Roach on Recovery is a program of OCG Radio. It deals with many topics related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment, and recovery. Our Recovery Support Time is a show segment where you can receive support from our host for any questions or issues you wish to present related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment, or recovery. You can reach our host live by calling 646-564-9909. That's 646-564-9909. Or you can send your questions via email at any time to ocgworkca at gmail.com. That's ocgworkca at gmail.com. And our host will respond to your questions on the air. Roach on Recovery. Recovery Support Time. A time for us to help you. Okay, welcome back. That was a long break. It was a good one. <laughs> you could have only heard all the conversation going on in um, in the background. Six four six five six four ninety nine zero nine is the number. We're gonna get right to it. Let's go to Brian in Redwood City. Brian, welcome. Uh, good evening. How are you? Good, how are you? Uh enjoying your show. Um having the privilege to uh to listen to the show and it hit me right on the spot. It's all about my change in treatment right now. Looking at um <clears throat> The old me going from a like I guess I'd call it logic minded, but uh, <laughs> but definitely the changing from the intellectual the intellectual to the uh, to the emotionally um, open. Like I'm looking at the the difference that it makes to be to go from like a like a closed self being the intellectual, like right. having a being closed, contained, controlling my actions, being trying to uh, to be that. Uh, you know that that functional on that functional level without um what i'm what i'm missing out on uh being uh emotionally open um showing being exposed and then uh and and letting letting everybody know how i really feel right putting yourself uh in in vulnerable position absolutely and it looks like this is the secret to being free in the mind if you recall We've mentioned many times, I've stated it many times, that you have to give something to get something. There's no free lunch. Right. And so when you, and and 
by the way, we, when we when we talked about the intellectual, it's not about a person getting rid of their intellect. We just want them to move the needle, come to the center, you know what I mean, and have a balance. And <clears throat> yes, that means you're going to have to open yourself up, which you say you have done or are doing, and that's wonderful. Absolutely. Anything and, uh, else, sir? Oh shoot! I'm um, just just uh, looking at my uh, my uh, recovery accelerating in all the all the right all the right directions. As um, my uh, my main focus is beyond well taking the the concepts of treatment. That's definitely um, I'm making uh, enormous pro- uh, progress here, and also getting to the to the roots of my uh, to to my inner uh, inner dysfunction, like seeing where it comes from, what what my fears are. And uh, and how to how to learn how to be um, emotionally to express my emotions without uh, without with you know changing from being that closed the closed uh, intellectual to to being the open open man that uh, that that can uh, can challenge myself to open up and be uh, to be free in the mind. I have I have one thing to say, and then I'll let you go. And it's just in response to one word you uttered that kind of poked my ears up a little bit. All right. So listen carefully. You hear that? (laughs) Crash and burn. When you said it's something you referenced in terms of, you know, the speed in which you were going. Mm-hmm. And I just want, and I just want you to just be be aware, be sure that to pump the brakes. There's oh. no rush. There's no race. One day at a time. Take it easy. Take it slow. The days are gonna go, my friend. They're gonna go. You don't have to speed it up any faster. Okay. All right. Alrighty. That's what I want to leave you with. Have a good night, Brian. Alrighty. Thank you. Okay. All right, bye-bye. Next time, be quicker on the uh, crash. On, on the take there? On the crash, on the crash and burn. <laughs> the crash and burn. <laughs> All right, let's go to uh, Kimberly. Frequent caller, Half Moon Bay. Kimberly, welcome. Hi, thank you. Um, my question is for you. I know you're talking about um, the, the intellectual or the child. Um, my my addiction and my alcoholism didn't really actually um, um, excel until I was about 37. And um, my my mom and dad that I have now, they aren't, they don't drink, well, they drink once in a while. They don't do drugs. They never have. Um, my real dad, um, my biological dad, he was, um, he had mental health issues he was an addict. He was a raging alcoholic. And <clears throat> the one I wanted to know is when I was two years old, I, me and my sister and my two brothers are older than me. We all experienced and watched him um, abuse my mom so terribly that her nose was like shattered glass. Um, so and what's, what's your question for us, Kimberly? My question is, is all through the years, we weren't supposed to talk about it at all, right? Mm-hmm. When I became more of a, an, an older adult and woman, I was very responsible about things. I never drank that much. Um, at 37, it hit really hard on me. 
And that was because I was trying to tap in to finding him because he he was alive. Um, was what so my brother had told me. I'm going to take you back to what's what's your question for us though. Um, Just in why, the interest of time. Was why did my um, disease of addiction alcoholism begin at 37? I don't. I mean, I drank here and there, but not to the extent that I've, I wanted oblivion. Right. Why did why, why did it explode right then and there at age 37? Yeah. I'm well, 49 call, now. Okay. Well, yeah. they, they they would call someone like yourself a, a, a late bloomer. Yeah. Okay. But in in I say they. I necessarily wouldn't call you that because... You've described and mentioned a number of things that you've experienced in your life that were not really dealt with, talked about, you know, and, and you know, and, and, and resolved. And yeah. at some point in your life, it was going to hit you. Now, the only thing that we don't know and no one can predict and could have predicted is how it would have manifested itself, meaning would it have driven you to drink? Would it have driven you to drugs? Would it have driven you to gamble? You know, we don't know what the negative impact, if any, would have been. No one could have predicted that. No one could also uh. predict why it exploded at 37. But. Oh, wow. But. So, I wouldn't, if I were you, just a recommendation, uh. okay, I wouldn't sit around asking yourself, the question of well, why did it why did it happen why did it start at thirty seven why did it start at thirty seven yeah. and the reason is is because ultimately no one cares that it started at thirty seven what we care about is that it started uh-huh. and that we want to address it okay and it also is a good thing it also provided an opportunity and and I hope is providing an opportunity for you to address those other things that you had mentioned um, all right I don't know if I'm ready. On all that, my my real dad. Well, is, is you'll, you'll be on. when when the time but, is right. Okay, um, there's still family on his side that are still alive. Um, but like I said, I mean, um, when you know, when time, it's scared. When, I'm scared. I'm, I'm okay. scared actually that's, to find out. That's okay. About but him. when the t- yeah. when the when the time is right. When the time is right, you don't have to do it. You don't have to dig into it until okay. you're ready to dig, dig into it. But I have to leave you with this. Okay. However, listen carefully to this. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't have to do it until you're ready. But as long as you know and are willing to accept and admit that, the longer you wait, the longer the the negative impact to you. Okay. Okay. So, so think, so think real hard about. Hey, when should I start digging into this hard work that I got to do? Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. All right. Bye bye. Bye. No one can really answer why you know someone starts at twelve. Versus 20, 20, versus 30, 30 yeah. and so on and so forth. And ultimately, the question becomes irrelevant. You know, if you started, you started. It's can we dig into, is there, 
the why and yeah and so in her case she, she started to name numerous issues that have contributed to why probably where she's at today right um that probably have to be addressed when she's ready to address them but I certainly wouldn't waste any time wondering well why did I start at 30 no at this age start using and abusing drugs right. so on and so forth it's a waste of energy agreed so <clears throat> Let's look at some uh, written questions. Uh, Beth from Moss Beach. Where's Moss, Moss, Moss Beach? Moss Beach is Highway 1. Moss Beach is between Pacifica and Half Moon Bay. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. Who cares? Never been there. All right. <laughs> you never heard of the Moss Beach distillery? I'm probably. No, I've never been there. Okay. Um, at a restaurant or? It's a restaurant, yeah. Okay. One of the oldest on the coast. It's supposedly haunted. A lot of people... Get excited by this. Yeah, we, we won't be going there. <laughs> Why is honesty so important to one's recovery? Gee, well, this is like uh, Genesis 1, verse 1. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, that could be answered in one word. It could be answered over um, a seven-week seminar course on the uh, the fundamentals of recovery or life, so to speak. But honesty... It's a big one. Well, we can answer it this way. It's important to one's recovery because you cannot fool yourself or kid yourself. Right. And we always say you have to be honest with yourself in order for recovery to take hold and for you to move forward. And you can do everything else and fool everyone else around you but you can't fool yourself. So that's why we're, we're always talking about, in, 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 in any treatment setting you go to, they're talking about, and even in in professional settings where you know, people are doing office therapy, things of that nature, not, not, none of it works. Nothing happens. No progress is made without honesty. So that's why it's so important to one's recovery from anything, whether it's recovery from drugs and alcohol, recovery from a terrible experience, recovery from whatever, honesty is important. And for us in OCG, we have it as our number one unwritten philosophy because that's we rank it, you know, walking in the door, hey, this is what we want from you or else. <laughs> All right, um, here's a deep one from Angel. Okay. Out of uh, East Palo What are the physical, psychological, and mental effects of alcohol and drug use while a person uses, and also when a person stops using? Uses. So he's got a double question there. Okay. I guess what he means is, what's the effect while I'm using, and then is there any change if I stop? Right. Or what? Or what might I experience when I stop? Yeah. Um. Well, I think physically while using is pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. He knows what happened while he was drinking physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he said emotionally and psychologically. What were the other two categories? Uh, physical, psychological, and mental. So, okay, so psychological, so cover and mental. emotional, and all that stuff. Yeah, kind of a... Um, so, I mean, I think while you're drinking or while you're under the influence um, kind of goes... Uh, without saying for those who are drinkers, they know how it affects them. It'll affect everybody differently. But, I, you know, physically, your loss of motor skills, is you're, uh, you're a bowl of jelly when it's time to drive, which is why you can't drink and drive. Um, 
emotionally. I, I believe alcohol is actually um, classified as a depressant. It is. And so, you know, um, it can have just that effect on you psychologically, emotionally, kind of a downer, bring you down. It's a depressant. It, Most people are not aware of that. Uh, right. You may um, feel depressed. Some people report um, as far as psychological or psyche goes, um, having being a little more courageous. I just call that stupidity. <laughs> courage uh, juice. Yeah, courage juice. Um, it's the after, I guess, that can be a little scary because clearly if there is a period of after for somebody, that means that they've decided they want to quit because they know it's not good then God forbid they've made that decision to change their life and have to deal with the ramifications. Um, but cirrhosis of the liver is a really big one for um, alcoholics if you've been drinking chronically over an extended period of time. Um, so medically speaking or physically speaking, that can be a huge problem. Um, as far as emotional or psychological long-term effects after you quit, um, I believe after quitting anything is just kind of getting used to feeling again because any kind of mind-altering substance will do just that. Mm -hmm. And when that substance is gone, you're going to start to learn a little about yourself and how you feel and how you act in certain situations, and that can be a little scary. Whether you like it or not. That's right. Uh, I will just add on in regards to alcohol, in my humble opinion, I believe it's the worst drug known to man because it does more things or damage to the body, the major body organs than any other drug that's out there. That's just my opinion. That's all. All right, let's go to uh, Renee. Hi. Welcome, Renee. How are Hi, you? Hi, welcome. I'm good. Uh, you know, I've always wondered, um, I've been in and out of uh, recovery, and um, I'm just wondering why the obsession is so hard to get rid of. You mean other than because the, you like getting high? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've gone like years without it before, but then it, sometimes right. it just comes back and it's just so strong. And it just doesn't even matter. I mean, it's just powerful. I mean, is there ways besides, you know, going to meetings and stuff? To, is there any other ways besides prayer and, and meetings? Well, you're you're asking the eternal question of every addict that is attempting to enter into the recovery realm, as I like to call it. And I think, go ahead. To me, to me, it comes down to. I mean, after you. All right, let me rephrase it this way. Do you want to stop using? Yes, I do. I think the guilt, um, I mean, I think if I could get rid of the guilt, you know, it wouldn't be so powerful. Uh, and the and guilt the guilt from what? When you say to get rid of the guilt, you mean from, the, like, experiences, from the, you know? Yeah, from, uh, well, I had 10 years recovery, and uh, my husband, he was in and out, and uh, I put my foot down and did the tough love thing, and he... Uh, got really messed up on meth and took his life with a rope. And I've had this guilt. <laughs> and, you know, everyone tells you, you know, it's not your fault, but it's like I just can't, I can't shake it. You know, it's just been really a hard, hard time to get my recovery back. Okay, so I'm going to ask you something. 
Two questions. After I ask you the first question, I'm going to ask you if you're going to if you'll be willing to call us back next week. Because this is going to require a week's worth of some contemplating for you, okay? Okay. You going to call us back? Yes, I will. Okay. Here's my question. You don't and you don't even have to answer. It's a rhetorical question, something for you to think about, but you're going to I want you to take the next week to answer it. I have a pen your, in hand. <laughs> okay. Ask yourself, what is it and why? What is it that I am gaining out of holding on to this guilt? What am I getting out of it? The answer is not nothing. It is something. I don't know what it is. I'm just saying it is something that you are gaining or getting out of it while you are still holding, choosing to hold on to it. Now, the word choosing is a very strong word. It's an inflammatory word. I'm like, I'm like accusing you of like holding on to it. I don't mean choosing in that fashion. You know what I mean? I don't mean it in that offensive way. I mean right. when if I know. you dig deep into yourself and really dig down and ask yourself, you know, what am I getting out of this? What's the reason why I'm holding on to this? And try and deter- come up with the answer to that question. Okay. And, and that requires gut-level honesty. Okay. Gut-level honesty. And if you can do that and come up with the answer, and by the way, you'll know, you'll know it when it's the answer. And you're not fooling yourself or kidding yourself. You'll know when it's the answer. And if you can do that, then you will have accomplished 75% of the task of getting past that event. Okay. Because that's some okay. serious stuff that you just talked about. Yeah, I know. You don't have to. You don't have to tell me anything else. Okay. I, it, ex- it explains your pattern. Okay. Yeah, because okay. it's not just with this. I mean, it's gone. It's been. It's. It's been throughout my life. Certain things have happened over and over, and along the same line, with different situations, and I hang on to it, and I guilt myself, you know, for a lot of things that I shouldn't. Well, well, I, let's see if we can. Uh, <clears throat> well, let's see if we can stop that process by learning to answer this question. Okay. All okay. Right. Okay. All right. I'll call back we'll next be, week. We'll, we'll be waiting to hear from you, Renee. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Boy, that's a tough one. Yeah. But it, it it no free lunch. You wanna you you want to come you know you want to get over that fence. I want I want this off my back. You know. I feel guilty about this, but I don't want to live with this. Well, in order to do that, there's something you got to do. There's some work you got to do. And oftentimes people don't realize that a lot of times it's subconscious, not conscious, that, hey, they're avoiding the, the work that they have to do in order to get there. Right. Because it is hard work. It is very, it's difficult work. It's not easy. Right. Okay. But there's no free lunch. There's no magic pill. My producer's looking at me like 'cause I'm I'm gesturing at him as I'm talking and 
emphasizing. It is a tough one for sure. Yeah. All right. Take a written question. Here's a good one. Thomas, Belmont. Why is recovery such a long process? Two-part question. Start with that one. Why is it such a long process? Well, that's a relative thing. Who determines what whether it's long or short? If a person has been using 25 years, I ask, is one year, two years, three years, four years a lot to ask for you to dedicate to getting your life back in order and on track? Is that too much to ask if you've been using for 15 years? People never look at it that way. Yeah, I used for 10 years. Well, I can't uh, do this treatment and recovery thing for 12 months. <laughs> right. What, your life is not worth 12 months? You used for 25 years, for God's sake. Right. But you can't spend 12 months, you know, laying a foundation of recovery so that you can get out of this lifestyle? No, I don't have time for that. Okay. Well, recovery is a process. I won't say it's a long process because I don't long it means different things to different people. It is a process, and each individual person has their own process of when they may reach a point where they have can shout to the heavens and the universes that you know I've I've, I've, I've made free. it, made it. Yeah. You know, I've doing what I want to do with my life, and that's a behind me that's a, now an experience of my life a, a part of my life but it doesn't define my whole existence anymore yeah right the question is can you get there i don't know how long it will take some people two years and they're good and, you know they're they're off to the races ready to go and live there they've been clean for 30 years right the second part of this question is, when do you think that a person will realize that enough is enough? <laughs> <laughs> when you're sitting in cell block number two, four, five. Right. When when you start thinking that question. <laughs> when the flashing lights are behind you. Pull over to the left. Exactly. Or, or the right. I'm sorry. The left is in England. To the right. You didn't remind me to say the word. Word. But saying England reminded me because there's something about my wife. I need to let the audience know. Then we'll get we'll get back. We got time, right? For some more questions, we'll get back to it real quick. Yeah, I, I got to get this out. My good friend Joe and I, my my late friend Joe, and I missed. You know, you know, every, I believe everyone in life has an opportunity where it's like their million dollar opportunity. Okay. Where you're going to be Ralph Cramden and you're going to make your million dollars, right? Sure. Joe and I missed our million dollar opportunity. And we had it right in front of us for 10, 15 years. Missed it. We missed it. We didn't grab it. We didn't see it. We we missed the opportunity. You know, they say, you know, when the opportunity presents itself, you got to be ready to take it, grab it, and, and you know. And run with it. Run That's with right. It. What was our million-dollar opportunity? I'd love to know. My wife, and I know she's listening. She's from England. Okay. Small, small, small town, Luton. What's now big, big town? Still a small town to me, but it's now a big town. They got their own airport. Wow, big right. deal. Okay, big time. Um, 
but you know, she's got strong English accent. Sure. And then in you know, using American words, likes to mangle the language. All right. So it's a combination of Queens Queens English, country cock you know, Cockney English. Sure. And uh mixing in some American words. She in goes there. mix and match. Mix and match. And I'm not going to say any of the words because I probably won't remember them, but I could have a dictionary from A to Z of the words she's mangled. <laughs> and Joe and I could have made our own dictionary of, you know, Linda's words, and I made a million dollars. There's the opportunity. Because people would be on the floor dying, crying, you know, tears in their Everything eyes. Else. <laughs> laughing so hard. So that's what I keep forgetting to tell people. And to this day, even my daughters will she'll she'll say something and and one of my daughters will hear it and we know what she means, right? Okay, but what she says in ter- in versus what the actual word is completely okay, messed completely up. different. Okay, and we'll just be crying and laughing, you know. <laughs> That's pretty good. All in good fun. All in good fun. She speaks four languages. Queen's English, Cockney accent if she wants, Gypsy, and then American if she wants. There you go. And don't get all four of them going at the same time. Oh yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a crapshoot right there. Whatever comes out of that's that. That's right point. because your Nana's uh, from, from London. From, that's right. Yeah. All right, let's go to um, Wangawi from Redwood City. Welcome. <clears throat> Hi. Hi. Uh, um, my question is, okay, I'm in a residential program, and mm-hmm. we have a rule where we're not allowed to share things with men. So my question is, what is the more of um elaborate um, explanation for that and how that relates to recovery and treatment? You're in a residential program? Yes. Hello? Yes. You're in a residential program? Did you hear program? my question? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to be clear that you said you were in a residential program. Yes. Okay. It makes a lot of sense to make sure that in a residential setting that there are rules in place to mm-hmm. limit the potential, that's the key word, the potential for inappropriate contact between the men and the women. Yes. So, what could to what could I'm just thinking out loud. I don't know the answer. I'm thinking out loud. What would they what would a, a male resident and a female resident be interested in sharing? Is it a material thing you're referring to or when you say yeah. sharing you and mean talk talking? Yeah, I mean something material. But Well, I I wouldn't see I just what, what want to understand what the deeper meaning behind that is. Because we, there's there's no reason for male and female to share anything material. I can't understand what what would they want to share or need to share. You know, um, producer. You want to give me an example? Um, a Perhaps pen, a lighter in the cigarette yeah, area. Yeah, a lighter. Oh, okay. the old. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! The old, <laughs> the, the old lighter. 
rears its ugly head. This is why more and more programs all over the country are eliminating smoking. Because it eliminates the old lighter problem. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Or even a pen, for example. Everyone's supposed to have their own pen on them, but let's say you forgot your pen. You'll take the booking, whatever the case may be. You have a pull-up you want to write on the board, and a, a man is coming down the hallway as a woman. You can't ask, hey, can I use your pen to write this pull-up real quick? You have to wait for a woman. I think that. that's silliness. Well, it sounds like you and Juan go are on the same <laughs> wavelength with that thought. Yeah. Yeah. Some. This is my answer. Some. some sometimes they're. You know what? Nine times out of ten, believe it or not, in residential programs, rules that are made up come from the residents, not from the the program themselves over the years. Mhm. Because. I like to think of whether or not something makes sense or not. Mm-hmm. So when you were talking about a material thing, I really couldn't think of what, what clothes or. And then when you, when you mentioned lighter, I was like, oh, okay, that's right. People smoke. Okay, pen. Yeah, of course, people write and share might share a pen. So okay, now it's starting to make sense. But it's silly. On its face, it's kind of silly. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's silly. I just want to understand more of elaborate. Um and how that relates to relationships between men and women, especially when one is trying There's, to obtain recovery? No, nah, there is no there is no correlation. Oh, okay. There's no way to understand it because he literally means it's silly. He's basically <laughs> advising you when this phone call is over to find the first male resident you can and ask to borrow his pen or perhaps his lighter. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> it doesn't compute with me, so I can't. I can't. There's no correlation to that in treatment and recovery or, or whatever it's case may be. I was thinking along a totally different line based on your question. Okay. All okay. right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. I honestly didn't know what she was referring to. Well, what could they share in a residential program? But, but you're you're right. I mean, if, they, if the program allows smoking, they light this has, matches or this has come up. I I literally, <laughs> I kid you not, and it's it's going to get more silly for you. I literally I was outside uh, by the smoking area of facility, mm-hmm. and there were I don't know, call it. Two girls and three guys outside, a group of people outside having a cigarette on a smoke break, and literally watched, or I I guess I was a part of this, a girl asks me, can I have permission to use his lighter to light my cigarette? I'm like, why are are you even asking me for permission to do that for one? Oh, because we're not allowed, a girl cannot use a guy's lighter to... To light their cigarette, and I just, I, I think I said nothing. Okay, so I think the, I said ask the chief. That comes from uh, two places, and I'm gonna take us way back to our first sh- second show when we interviewed David Deitch. Remember? Yes. And he talked about little fat, the little fascist. <laughs> yes. Okay, little yes. dictators. Yes. Okay, that's the staff. Okay. Right. I'm not accusing anyone. I'm just saying. Okay, making up rules on, on, as they go along, and clients making up rules. Sure. It's, it's the most silliest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, it was kind of I, you know, I I was kind of 
taken aback a little being in that position. Now, if someone says, hey, what yeah, on earth is going yeah, can on I, Can here? I borrow his shirt or can I borrow his, you know, you know, right. clothing item or, right. some, you know, something more, you know. Yeah. But a pen, a lighter, come on. <laughs> yeah, believe it. <clears throat> wow. Um, But that's the life in the residential program. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, they can be par for the course. That's an interesting question. All right, let's get back to our written questions. Uh, we already covered that when do you think that a person will realize that enough is enough? Uh, here's a good one, another one from... Um, oh, let's take this one. This is another one from Thomas. Do you have any suggestions for someone who relapsed that wants to reconnect and get back with his friends in recovery who are great support, but it seems their friendships have changed. And so what I'm picking up from that question is, so you relapse, the friends you had are still doing their thing, and as a result of your relapse, you know, there, you know there's, a, there's a divide, as well there should be, because you're living a different life. If, you, if you're going back to using drugs and they're staying on their path, there's a there's a divide. How do you regain or reconnect in a way, in, in a way in the level that you were prior to the relapse? Well, to me, that's all based on you, the person who who had the relapse, in terms of what you sh- what you're showing and what you're proving. The ball's a hundred percent in your court, not in the other party's court. You're the one who let let the group down. You're the one who made the decision. Decision, not mistake. You're the one who made the decision, the choice. You chose to pick up and use. So you have to prove and earn your way back into that, to their good graces. And the only way you can do that is not through what you say, but what you do. So you have to prove yourself again. And that's it. Prove yourself. Now, on the other side, those who are the ones that are were the friends, those who are the ones that were the friends, um, you know, we don't forget compassion. Don't forget that you know you were once there. Not saying that you have relapsed, but you know you were you were once a person that was an addict and has to go through that process. So. You you need to also be there for the person to help them along and get them back to where they were. You can't just cast them aside and drop them off the edge of a cliff put, and provide no right. support and no help. Be mindful of their feelings, and you're not better than anybody. Right. You made a decision. That's on you, but not to condescend somebody else because of it. Right. So they got to do what they got to do, and, and you're right to make sure that they – this is um, this is the part of the people that are, you know, holding them accountable. Make sure they're doing their thing. Judge them based on what they do, but show compassion, be supportive, etc. If you're if you're really friends, right. If you're not friends, then something different is going to happen. What am I looking wanna, at? Here? We got James uh, calling from the biggest little city in the world. Okay, and, and how are we on time? 
We're, we got four minutes about. Okay, all right. So maybe if James gets to the point and the host keeps to the point, we can we can squeeze him in there. Are you saying I'm rambling? <laughs> no, not at all. Okay, all right. James from Reno. Yeah, hello? Hello, James. How you doing? I'm doing great. How you doing? Good. Uh, yeah, uh, my question is, I would like somebody to explain to me more in depth about the principles before personalities. You said principles before personalities? Yeah, like um like kinda like not look at the person so much as to look at the message. And and what do you mean by explain that in more depth? I I I'm not following you. Um, I'm not really like getting the the fact that uh people really look at too much as like the person and like not so much as like the recovery. Like people focus on more of like trying to fit in and being part of a group. When really they should be more selfish and like focus on their own recovery. I, I guess that's more of a maybe he's related. I think maybe James and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds kind of similar to the phrase to look at the message rather than the messenger. Yeah, so to speak. If somebody that. comes, if someone comes to you with something, even if they're being hypocritical in some form or fashion to look at what they're saying and the content of what they're saying versus who they are as a person? Yeah, exactly. So, and and so are you asking what's a good way or how how do you get others to abide by that or to you know to to take that same approach? Um, I guess it's more what's more of a better way to cope with it. And like uh, oh. not really cope with it, but understand how to, how to practice oh, oh. that himself. No, no, he yes, can cope. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, do you process. mean cope or practice? Cope or practice or both? Uh, both. Okay. On, on the cope side, you know, so that means you're on the receiving end. Yes. So you're receiving help or support from someone, and either they might be a you know hypocrite, they might be you know doing the same thing that they're trying to you know help you out with, and so on and so forth. And that's where you're when you talked about trying to hear the message and not necessarily the messenger who's bringing the message. Yes. Pretty much, yeah. My friend, that only takes practice and time. Okay. That's, that's, that's a human condition. Mm-hmm. And I think, and you answered it in that, that's what we meant by practice. Mm-hmm. Not be, not the role reversal, but just practicing being open yeah. to yeah. the messenger coming at you and, and separating him from or her from the point they're trying to make. Right. It, yeah, exactly. You... You are a better man than all of us if you can master that. <laughs> oh, I hope I am. Okay, James? All right, thank you. All right, thank you. All right, thank you. I hope we answered this question. Did we answer this I question? I think so, yeah. Okay. I mean, it, that is a challenge to hear something from someone where the message could be powerful or mm-hmm. meaningful, but you know damn well that this person's not practicing it themselves or maybe they're doing it out of spite or whatever, and it's hard to separate that. I think that's what we spoke to. That was his question. And how how can you not go there mentally and still be open to the message free from who's bringing it to you? Where are we on the clock? You got about 20 seconds, my friend. All right, so in 20 seconds, Speaking to what James said, a lot that happens a lot in NAAA. People go and you know they they might know somebody's using and the person is trying to help them out and so on and so forth. And so 
But we'll speak to that next week because it's happening a lot on online groups, I've noticed. Okay. Perfect. Well, again, thank everybody out there for their support. We wish you guys a great rest of the week.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCG work CA and 